Welcome to Medically Speaking, Auburn's own medical radio show with host Dr. Mark Vaughn of the Auburn Medical Group and Larry Finney. Welcome to Medically Speaking Radio with your host, I'm Dr. Mark Vaughn. Oh yeah, and me, I'm, I'm Larry Finney, the layperson guy. Welcome to our show this week. This week we will be talking about a, uh, a book written by Patricia Rea and Corinne Majonis called... Moganis, I believe she pronounced it Moganis. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. thank you. I'm glad you corrected me. Uh, the title of the book is Medical Tips from the Inside. What You Need to Know. What You Need to Know. It's a long title. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later after the first break. But the title does say it all. Yeah, it kind of tells it's you It's one of those good... On. You know, I like that in a title. It's a self-explanatory thing. You don't have to guess with it. You know, take Gone with the Wind. You look at... Is this yeah. a book about weather? Is it a, a book about a philandering husband? Is it a book about, uh, you know, a, a freight train? Uh, you know, uh, whatever. I don't know. Is it a hurricane? I, I don't know what it is. But tips from the inside... Medical tips from the inside. Yeah, that, that's, yeah, you know exactly what that's about. Okay. Yeah. I, all right. I can see that. Uh, this week going on in the world of health. Let's see. Uh, Sutter is promoting uh, a, a program together with the Auburn uh, Recreation District called CHIP, C-H-I-P, uh, Coronary Health Improvement Project. This is a, uh, a program taught by a medical or a brought up. Um, Easy for you to say. Yeah, really. Yeah. Put together by a medical doctor, but it's presented by uh, somebody who's been trained to present it. It's both lecture and video series. Uh, coming up with ways to improve health and decrease risk for heart disease through changes in diet. Actually, simplifying diet is what they call it. It's a 16-class uh, video and lecture series for those who wish to turn the disease process around. Individuals with essential hypertension, type 2 diabetes, elevated cholesterol, and heart disease are encouraged to attend. It will take place in the craft room at the rec park, 7 to 8.15 p.m., January 18th, January 19th, January 21st, and January 27th. I'm wondering how they get 16 classes into that. But if you want information, you need to call 530-3200-1564. Or you could call that, oh, that's too many numbers. We're going to have to get the correct phone number from the folks at uh, Sutter. Would, would the we'll, press we'll, release have a typo on it? Yeah, I, I need to get a hold of Robin Montgomery, and we'll we'll get the correct. Uh, yeah. it, it, actually, by the time this is broadcast, we will have the correct phone number on our website at medicallyspeakingradio.com. For those of you interested in the 16-class video lecture series for uh, lowering your heart disease risk through cooking classes. Better eating through better Better living Better through, living through eating. cooking, yeah, through <laughs> eating. There you go. Now, that's, that's a class I'd be interested in. The more you eat, the healthier you are. Uh, let's not put, let's not put <laughs> well, that out there. Well, all right. I guess what, it's not quite there. Uh, we are still in the process of following the Senate and the House, putting together their 2,000-page each bills to come up with one. Tell us, Larry, what happens once what? they put the 2,000 page well, bills together into one. I guess a little back, there's a lot of intrigue going on here. The, the, according to uh, Senate Majority Leader Steny Hoyer of Maryland, uh, the congressional Democrats are very close, very close to a final deal on health care reform. Well, you wonder, how do they get so very close to that kind of deal? It's, it's through backroom deals. I, I, I'll, just, I'll just say it. They, they've they made the deal with, uh, who's the guy from Nebraska, Ben uh, Nelson? Yes, yeah, so, so that Nebraskans can add P 
people in perpetuity at no extra cost to, to the, their you know, the, no, the rest system. of the states. Yeah, and to their Medicaid system. And the, the state rest of the doesn't states have to pay for it. Yeah. The state doesn't, but the rest of the states do. Somebody's paying for it. Nothing's free. Something's going on Nothing's with uh, Louisiana also. They got a deal in the House in that bill. Yeah. Now, the latest deal is with the unions. Uh, the AFL-CIO is very happy with this latest version because it exempts union members from the so-called Cadillac tax, that the, the tax that would be levied on people who have their own health plans uh, in excess of, and they even raised the limit. I think it's now raised to 20, somewhere in the middle, like $24,000. for Annually for their plan, that's the value of it, that the union pays right. for them. Right. In other words, folks who have their own plans will be taxed, ex- unless you belong to the union. Yeah. Is it any union or is it just... Uh uh, it just simply says union members, and I, I see the AFL-CIO is pretty happy, so if uh, that's, a, that's a big enough union. All right. But, you know, isn't that the way that they say there's two things you don't want to see being made? What, what are they? Sausage and law. And There's a third, but I forget what it was. Yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I'm not even going to. I'm going to restrain you. What the, I think it has to do with Dr. Jenkins. You have uh, the, you have the, you're hearing the sound of restraint from me, and that's not often uh, heard. <laughs> <laughs> Good, less letters. Fewer letters. <laughs> less angry letters. <laughs> That's Larry at Medically Speaking Radio. No, 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 no right to me. Anyway, so so all these little backroom deals get made. As someone was quoted as saying, if this is such a darn good bill, why do they have to, to sweeten the pot and, 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 and hand out these little goodies in order to pass it? Oh, my, my thought is if it's such a good bill, why does it have to be 2,000 pages long? Well, okay, so here's some final steps in passing the bill. Um, this is from the Associated Press, a little thumbnail sketch. Let's see if we can take you through it rather quickly. It's, it's a short list, but a dense one. Here are the final passages. Uh, House Democrat leaders say they will not hold a vote in the House until the health care bill has been posted online for 72 hours. Now, I'm not sure why you want to post it online for 72 hours. Is the point to say, well, we've engaged in transparency. We did a little math, did we not, Doctor? We did some math. So yes. to read 2,000 pages in 72 hours... Uh, you would have to read... Uh, it comes out to somewhere around yeah. 30 seconds per page of this dense legal document for 72 hours straight. No bathroom breaks, no sleeping, no time to eat. I guess you could eat while you're well, reading. but On average. And so, and it's not scintillating reading. No. If, no. if you bust this thing out, you'd read the first page and it'll probably take you another couple of minutes to go back and read it over to figure out what you just read. <laughs> My point is nobody's going to get for a lay person like us. It ain't, it's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. Okay. So it's posted online for 72 for that 72 hour clock to start. The congressional budget office must first estimate the cost of the bill. That ought to be interesting in and of itself. Item next, the house could vote quickly in a matter of hours after the 72 hours expires. When the bill gets to the Senate, Senate majority leader, Harry Reid could immediately invoke the procedure called cloture to cut off debate and set a final vote. If he files the cloture motion the day the bill clears the House, a cloture vote could happen one hour after the Senate convenes on the following day. That could be as early as 1.01 a.m. 60 votes are needed to cap debate. If the cloture motion prevails with 60 votes, senators would then have 30 hours to debate the health care bill. After that 30 hours of debate, the Senate would vote on the legislation's final passage and a majority would be required to send the measure to Obama. Now, the longer they drag this out, though, that 60, that 60 votes is... That is, could change. It could change because in Massachusetts, there's a Senate race going on between, I can't think of the candidate's name, uh, the Republican's name is Brown, 
and the uh, Democrat is Martha Coakley. They're running for the vacated seat of the now deceased Ted Kennedy. Yeah. And they're in a statistical dead heat. Oh but should Brown win, the Senate would no longer have its supermajority. Yeah. The Democrats would no longer have its supermajority. And that could throw things into a tizzy. So, you know, stay tuned. It just gets interestinger and interestinger. <laughs> or, or more interesting. Yes. Well, I don't know. Who, who is it? Was that Lewis Carroll? Interestinger and interestinger? I don't remember. Yeah. We, so that's, uh, what was the date again that's going to happen by? Is that going to happen before our next show? Uh, could very well. Okay. Um, I'm kind of hoping they drag their feet. But see, and that's, that's, that's the perfect storm thing. Yeah. Uh, it, in other words, a lot of things have got to click into place. And, and um, talking about these, these sweetheart deals, the, the one we mentioned in Nebraska is coming back to bite people. It's a PR disaster. Even yeah. Bill Clinton has come out and said, hey, man, this yeah. thing, you know, <laughs> this Nebraska thing is really hurting us, says yeah. Clinton. So uh, <laughs> be careful what you ask for. You might get it. Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, H1N1 is the other thing that we've been following long term, and it's it's tapering down. They estimate one in five people now has been vaccinated. So uh, the numbers are really actually good on that, and uh, it doesn't seem to be a real news item at this point. So when we get back from the break, we'll be speaking with Corinne McGinnis and Patricia Rea about their book. Medical Tips from the Inside, Things What You Need to Know. Or What You Need to Know. Thank you. The content of this website and the Medically Speaking Radio Show are meant for entertainment and for general information purposes. No doctor-patient relationship is attempted or implied through the show or the website. Any medical advice, home remedies, and all other medical information on this website or radio show should not be treated as a substitute for the medical advice of your own doctor. Do not attempt any treatment mentioned on the website or the show without consulting your doctor. Always consult your own doctor if you are in any way concerned about your health. If you need a doctor and live near Placer County, call Jen at 530-886-8630. If you have a medical emergency, call 911. Medically Speaking Radio, Dr. Mark Vaughn, Auburn Medical Group, K-High Radio, and or our sponsors are not responsible for any diagnosis or treatment made by anyone based on any of the content of this website or the Medically Speaking Radio Show. In addition, the views and opinions expressed on the show or on linked websites are not necessarily those of Dr. Mark Vaughn, Hey Hi Radio, the Auburn Medical Group Incorporated, or any of the show sponsors. Since 1966, Sutter Auburn Faith Hospital has been providing award-winning care to members of the community, to people just like you. The tradition of excellence continues today with our comprehensive family birth center, cancer services, 24-hour emergency care, and a whole range of outpatient services with convenient hours and locations to serve you. In addition, we've been recognized for excellence in managing heart attacks, heart failure, pneumonia, and surgical care. We are one of a select few hospitals in the state to earn recognition from VHA's West Coast region for sustained outstanding clinical performance. To learn more about Sutter Auburn Faith Hospital, visit us on the web at SutterAuburnFaith.org slash Medically Speaking Radio. That's SutterAuburnFaith.org slash Medically Speaking Radio. Sutter Health, with you for life. 
Larry, have you ever been to Auburn Drug Company? Yeah, that's the one with the marble soda fountain at 815 Lincoln Way. Yeah, right there in front they have the marble fountain. And in back is an independently owned pharmacy right here in Auburn. And that thing has been around for a long time. Since the 1800s. They are so great because they actually fill your prescriptions when you ask them to. Unlike the chain drug stores that make you wait. You know, and waiting there wouldn't be a big crime because, heck, you could always go to the soda fountain. That's Auburn Drug Company at 815 Lincoln Way in downtown Auburn. Give them a call at 885-6524. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. Welcome back to Medically Speaking Radio. We are now on the phone with Corinne Magenis and Patricia Raya, the authors of... Give us the name of the book there, Larry. Medical Tips from the Inside. It's published by Merit Publishing International. And welcome uh, to the show, both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I guess uh, to get our get this thing rolling, um, could you give us a quick overview of, of uh, well, first, uh, let, let's, let's get your backgrounds, and then we'll uh, get into what the book is about and why you wrote it. Uh, well, let's start with uh, Patty Rea. Okay, um, I'm a um, RN. Uh, I'm also a president of PAR Enterprises Legal Nurse Consultants uh, in Princeton, New Jersey. Um, as a nurse, I've worked in the uh, areas of neuroscience, high-risk uh, antepartum care, and risk management. Okay, and Corinne Mogenis? Mm-hmm. I am a medical malpractice paralegal, and I currently work for a major law firm in East Brunswick, New Jersey, and I have approximately 20 years' experience working with uh, plaintiff's attorneys in case review and development for mostly medical malpractice cases. Okay, so we have a, a paralegal and an RN collaborating on a book called Medical Tips from the Inside. Um, could you give us a, a, just a quick run-through of, of essentially what the book is about the, and the purpose of, of your having written the book? Sure. Um, Patty and I met um, in about 1995 when we started working together on medical malpractice case reviews. And we would listen to clients' concerns, and we noticed there was a common thread. Um, Most of it was patient, the lack of patient knowledge. They weren't aware that they had rights, that they could get a second opinion, that they could question their doctors, get a copy of medical records, and, and things of that nature. And we were told over and over again by clients when we would ask, you know, why didn't you do this, that, or the other, they would say they just didn't know. So it bothered us, and we sat down and said, there's got to be a way that we can get what seems like very basic information to us out to the the general public so that people are aware of this. And, you know, we said, well, with our unique experience and combination of the backgrounds together, maybe we should just sit down and try to do this. So we sat down and started to write the book. Uh, Merit Publishing came along eventually and agreed to publish the book, and uh, we were very happy with the outcome, and and that's kind of how that all started. You know, what you describe is kind of a, is a phenomenon not necessarily unique to the medical field, but but in terms of uh, clients just not asking professionals necessarily all the questions. They they tend to come with this. Well, you're, you're the expert. I'm I'm simply going to, you know, I'm not going to question you. And and I, I, having read the book, I think that the the message seems to be, it's okay to question. It's not being uh, combative. It's just becoming self informed. Absolutely. Go ahead, I Patty. I think what we want to do, too, is relay the message to people that, you know, it's definitely a partnership, and you have to participate. You can't cast blame if you're not, you know, taking an active role as well. Yeah, if, if you could kind of give a... Uh, I, I'm looking at your cable, ta- cable, table of contents here. 
the, the types of things that you cover are uh, the patient's bill of rights, uh, DNRs that are do not resuscitate mm-hmm. orders, uh, choosing elements of your health care, preventing medical errors, obtaining your medical records, uh, the importance of participating in your health care, which really, I guess, is the ultimate theme of the book. Um, let's, let's start with the patient's bill of rights. Um, what is that, and why do we need it? Okay, um, it's uh, very important for every patient to get involved in the health care, and um, the patient's bill of rights uh, is a document um, it's in every hospital. It's in every. Um, uh, it, it's found in different places throughout the hospital. Whether it's uh, patients' rooms, uh, waiting areas, uh, when you first come into uh, admitting, and what it does is helps to contribute to a more successful uh, patient care uh, and patient experience. And it varies from state to state. Um, they revised as as needed, so it's important for you to know and understand your state specific uh, provisions. Um, the language of the patient's bill of rights is um, easy enough for patients and their families to understand, and their the rights are used to preserve uh, patients' values and dignity. Uh, for example, they uh, include such rights as uh, the right to receive an explanation from your doctor about your condition, uh, treatment, expected results. Uh, any risks involved in the treatment, uh, as well as any acceptable medical alternatives. You have the right to uh, give written consent before starting certain non-emergent medical treatments and procedures, uh, and your doctor should explain to you the procedure risks, uh, recovery time, uh, any uh, alternative procedures that are available. Um, You have the right to make informed decisions about your care. You have the right to uh, have an advanced directive. You have the right to receive information about pain and the right to refuse treatment, Uh, the right to an interpreter if needed, Um, the right to know what you're being charged for, and you also have the right to access your medical records. And again, these are posted in uh, patient care areas and in public places uh, throughout the hospital. And those seem like very basic shall I say, self-evident truths <laughs> that we would... Ex- oh, exactly. <laughs> but yet, uh, yeah. for for it to be something that we have to write down, uh, it makes me think, obviously, there's there's a reason for this and there's a reason for it to appear in the book. And given your background in uh, case review, my guess is you guys have seen where this wasn't uh, a right that somebody was allowed to have. Can you share with us examples of that? Well, I, I know from my experience in, in risk management, there's uh, been an issue, uh, at least here in New Jersey, uh, with um, uh, interpreter um, availability and people not uh, being offered um, an interpreter or, or not knowing that they're available. So uh, there had been litigation uh, because of that, and so now we have, uh, we meaning uh, the hospitals, um, offer uh, uh, language phones, um, interpreter uh, services, um, services for uh, patients that are hard of hearing. That's all uh, available. And if you, for example, need a uh, hearing interpreter, you have uh, your hearing impaired and you don't want one, you have to sign, at least in uh, New Jersey, uh, sign a wave, you know, sign the waiver that says, you know, that I, I refuse to have an interpreter. You know, I, I, I need to ask a layperson question about this, the, the whole patient's bill of rights. I mean, it sounds like a great idea, but I'm wondering 
who who enforces it uh, typically uh when you've when you've got something written down like this it's not much good unless it's got some teeth is is there a is is it state law or is it a, a, a just simply a matter of good practice Patty, you want to take that one I hear crickets <laughs> it's no, it's um, it, it's it's the law, um, and and it's um, the federal government uh, has uh, uh, mandated that we have our our bill of uh, rights. And as as far as enforcing it, you know, if any patient has a complaint, uh, they go to their the hospital has a patient representative or a patient advocate, um, which they can bring their concerns to, and they follow up to make sure that their their rights are. Uh, enforced, and we have uh, policies that address, um, again, for example, the uh, in, in, uh, interpreters. Um, we, when you sign a consent, um, the consent form, there's the. Um, it, it has to be noted that the that the doctor explained the procedure. Uh, the procedure has to be written in um, easy to understand uh, terms. Okay. When uh, you, our, well, I was sorry. When you when you say interpreter, then it's. Uh, Maybe not necessarily a foreign language interpreter, but the doc starts talking Latin as they sometimes want to do. They have to they have to uh, translate into English. Is that what the interpreter does, or is it something else? Oh, the the interpreter is a foreign language in- interpreter. Okay, I noticed that your your uh, emphasis seems to be on the inpatient setting. I'd like to throw out for our listeners that this is also true in the outpatient setting. Um, I'm continually getting literature from the insurances that I'm contracted with that provide 800 numbers for all different languages that the patients can use or the doctor and the patient together can use to call up an interpreter and talk back and forth. Um, now, oh, the difficulty exactly, is yeah. we're telling this out on a radio show in English. So if <laughs> if you're listening <laughs> and you have somebody who's a friend who speaks a foreign language, please let them know they can have an interpreter when they speak to their doctor if their doctor doesn't speak their language. Uh, right, exactly. We, uh, and we use... Uh, I'm sorry. We we touched on the idea of advanced directives, right? I'd like to move on to that. What what are advanced directives? Uh, that's something you mentioned in your uh, one of your chapters. Uh, I think it's part of the patient's bill of rights. I think uh, yes, it's right there in chapter one. Patient's bill of rights and advanced directives. So, if, if for our okay. listeners, if you could explain what a what an what is an advanced directive. Uh, an advanced directive tells your doctor what kind of care you would like to have if you become uh, unable to make medical decisions. Uh, for example, if you're in a coma, um, when you're admitted to the hospital, uh, the hospital staff will ask you on admission if you have an advanced directive. Um, if if you do, they'll ask you if you have a, a copy w- uh, with you. Um, and if you don't have a copy with you, if you can bring one in as soon as possible and it gets placed on your chart. Um, if you do not have one but would like one, they uh, offer services to have someone help you get that done uh, as well. And uh, a good advanced directive describes the kind of treatment you would want depending on, on how sick you are. For example, um, directives would describe what kind of care you would want to have um, in the, if you have an illness that you're um, unlikely to recover from or if you're permanently un- unconscious. Um, advanced directives usually tell your doctor that you don't want certain kinds of treatments or want certain uh, kinds of treatments. Um, Could I put things in there like, I don't like broccoli, please don't feed that to me, should I become <laughs> unconscious, don't put that in my tube? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you, you know, you, if if that's one of your your wishes, what we have um, in 
the facility that I that I work in, uh, besides the advanced directive, we also have a, a document called uh, the Five Wishes. I don't know if you've heard of that. That, that would it, probably it, be equivalent to our California Pulsed form that we discussed on a, a previous show, where it asks the basics about resuscitation and other measures, including hydration, uh, use of IV, and uh, respiratory support. Is, is that the sort of form you're talking I, about? I've heard of the three wishes. I associate that with genies, but what are the five wishes? <laughs> your, your five wishes goes even uh, into more detail, and it's um, it's actually recognized, I believe, in uh, 40, 49 states. Uh, you can uh, purchase the, the um, booklet uh, online. It costs anywhere from 2 to $5.00. Uh, but it really spills out exactly, and, and a lot of it is a checklist. Um, some of it is fill in, fill in the, the blank or, or add extra pages if you need. But it, it, it's an uh, excellent uh, document to really uh, spill out your, your advanced directive from the time you walk into the hospital to uh, if you need hospice, if you... Um, uh, if you should slip the into a coma. stage of your illness. Yeah, yeah. yeah it actually uh, to, does sound very similar to the uh, POLST, form, P-O-L-S-T. Uh, at this point, we'd like to take a break, and uh, when we get back, we'll continue our discussion of medical tips from the inside with Corrine and Patty, and uh, we'll be back after this break. Do you find yourself overspending, overeating, or in unhealthy relationships? Is your anger out of control, or do you struggle with drugs and alcohol? Are you tired of just trying harder to deal with your struggles? If you answered yes to any of these questions, there's help available. Celebrate Recovery is an international ministry that meets locally at Parkside Church, 3885 Richardson Drive, Auburn. Meetings are held every Friday night from 6 to 9.15 p.m. All areas of recovery are welcome. Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered, 12-step recovery program that offers real and lasting change. Contact Sheila Dobbin at 823-9911. That's 823-9911. For a listing of Celebrate Recovery locations, go to CelebrateRecovery.com. We invite you to join us at Parkside as we celebrate recovery. This is Dr. Mark Vaughn. I wanted to let you know a little bit about our practice at the Auburn Medical Group. The physician, nurses, and front desk personnel all approach the patient, asking themselves the question, how would I want to be treated if I was in the patient's shoes? Listen to what one of our patients has to say about her experience at the Auburn Medical Group. My name is Susie Brown. I just want to sincerely thank that group of people for being there for me in some emergency situations. They are very efficient. Their staff, including their receptionist. Even when you call her, she's got uh, sympathy and compassion for you. And when you're ill, that's what you need. The nurses, the nurse staff is wonderful. And Dr. Vaughn listens to everything you say and they just get on things. They do not let anything lag. If you need a doctor, call us at 886-8630 or look at our website at auburnmedicalgroup.com. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. Welcome back from the break. This is Medically Speaking Radio on KHI, your voice of the hills, with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. We are on the phone with 
Patricia Raya, or Araya, excuse me, and Corinne Mogenis talking about their book, Medical Tips from the Inside by Merit Publishing. And when we left, we were talking about some of the uh, ins and outs of an advanced directive, uh, the five wishes, the or the pulsed form, as we call it here in California. Uh, in addition to those and the what we spoke about earlier, the um, medical bill of rights or patient bill of rights, what were some of the other things that you really wanted to get across to patients to make sure they were aware of in this book? Uh, what we tried to do was cover the topmost general complaints and concerns that we would hear over and over again. So we broke down each main topic and tried to explain it in as easy and to read format as we could, um, covering helping patients make informed decisions about doctors, treatment options, clinical procedures, insurance. There's chapters on partnering with your physician, what to do if you're diagnosed with an illness, what to ask your doctor before having surgery, obtaining your medical records, caring for the young, caring for the elderly. Uh, We touch on women's health, prostate cancer, medical tourism, healthcare when you travel, and we even compared a little and took a look at healthcare in other countries. Um, for instance, the UK, Canada, Italy, Australia, India, France, Germany, and Japan. Yeah, and I noticed you spent quite a bit of time uh, or, or emphasizing that one of the things you, you have the right to is your own medical records. And immediately I, I asked myself, why, why would I necessarily want my own medical records? Well, that, that's a very good question, and, and I think a lot of people don't even, that doesn't dawn on them. And we tell people all the time, it's, it's, first of all, it's your right. You can have them if you want them. Um, but you should keep a medical profile at home. You should keep uh, a medical binder. You should start a medical file, one, so that it's easier for you um, getting future treatment going forward to refer back to things. You can give um, new doctors, new hospitals, exact dates of surgical procedures that you had, which is very important for physicians treating patients, you know, to have the complete information of your past history. And a lot of people forget, they don't remember, um, they, they just, you know, weren't aware it was even important. And if you have this in a nice binder or a folder and you can get access to it quickly, it, it makes things much more pleasurable for you and your physicians going forward. So it's not it's safe to assume, good, I'm sorry, it's not safe to assume that my doctor already has this stuff then. Oh, a nine out of ten times the, the doctor won't have it. I mean, if, if you wind up in an emergency situation, you wind up in a hospital, uh, one, you might not be able to physically tell the people there what your history is. If your family has access to it at home, knows where it is, is familiar with it, that's something they can easily, uh, you know, provide to the physicians or get to. If you're moving, if your insurance changes and you have to get a new physician for some reason or you need to go to a specialist, this is all the kind of information you're going to be coming in as a brand new patient. It's very helpful to them if you can bring in copies of your medical records from a prior physician uh, so that they can refer to your history, see some of the things that you had done, allergies that you have, things like that, so that they can give you the best treatment. That sounds like um, you're talking kind of from the perspective of the paper-based world. Um, We're seeing a lot of advance now where people are having the electronic medical records, and I believe it's... Uh, called the Google, I think Google has it, the personal health record where we're getting more and more uh, mobile health records in, in a digital format that's so much easier to get from place to place if it needs to quickly. We're kind of on the cusp of it right now. In fact, there's um, the, what was that act called? The TARP Act that had, um, was, that, was that the economic stimulus package? There, there's a section of that for medicine for getting um, information te- technology of course, we can't spend the money until 2013. I'm not quite sure what that's all about. But it actually goes towards electronic medical records. They'll help people with this very thing. And the first time 
or the, the early part of it, it was more for doctor's offices. But as we get further along, it's getting more and more, including the patient, to be able to be a partner in this and be able to access their own records and know what's going on. Um, I know in our office, as soon as that money is available from the federal government, we're going to have it uh, raw online so patients can access their own uh, records and communicate with the office without having to use the phone or, or come in to physically get an exchange of paper and do it through a secure manner. So that is coming um, more and more uh, with the electronic side of it. But you're right that if people don't already have it, they need to be able to produce that, especially if they tra- transfer from one doctor to another or go to a, uh, a specialist and then they come back to their primary doctor. <laughs> I know from my experience, even just today, looking for notes that the patient assumed would have gotten to us. And uh, no, your consultant never sent it. If if they did have a copy that, like you're suggesting, that would have avoided all that trouble. Mm-hmm. And it's good for and family uh, history because a lot of different diseases and conditions are genetic. And so, you know, you need to know exactly the details of what your illness was so that you can share it with your, you know, your children, your siblings, or, or whatever the case is, so that, you know, it, yeah. good care continues on. We see that over and over again, that someone keeps their medical issues private from their family members, and that's... That's not the best thing. That's that's their medical record, uh, their family history that you're keeping from them. Uh, I agree with you. We need to encourage people to to let their children know what what happened, uh, what did grandma actually have, and uh, that way they can know uh, medical conditions they're at risk for. Now, chapter seven of your book is dedicated to the the premise that you should participate in your healthcare. Actually, I would could argue that the entire book is really about that. But you end that chapter with saying that the, the probably the most important thing that you can do is get a second opinion. Now, um, bef- so that I, I don't go crazy, you know, playing that card, are there some circumstances in which maybe I don't necessarily need a second opinion? Or, or, or let's just say, what are the most important circumstances in which I would want to consider getting a second opinion? Patty, you want to take that? Uh, I, uh, excuse me. Uh, I, I think it's very important to get a, a second opinion uh, if you're going to have a, a surgical procedure. Um, it's always good to see if there might be a, a different type of surgery, or it can be we can go a conservative route with maybe uh, rest and medication, or maybe physical therapy uh, before you need to have uh, some surgery. And um, Things like, you know, you go to the doctor for um, a cold, you know, you won't need a second opinion on, right. on something like that. But but um, uh, major health uh, concerns or issues, um, it, it's it's very um, much encouraged to get a second opinion. Or, or if, it, if, if I went to my doctor and he said, well, you have the, the fitness level in the body of a man half your age, I should just quit when I'm ahead and not get a second opinion. <laughs> <laughs> if you're happy with that one, then yes. Yeah. yeah, I'm good. I shouldn't try to bargain for as, a man. As your digits age, are yeah. falling off with no explanation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with the second opinion. And in fact, most insurances, if not all, uh, do cover getting a second opinion when, when it comes to something like major surgery. Uh, and, and, it's and very easy to cover, do. Too. Some insurance companies won't uh, approve a surgery until you have a second opinion. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, second opinion is, is not a bad thing to have. Um, although sometimes the consultant that a patient goes to 
may not be real thrilled with the patient going to someone else when they're recommending that they have a procedure, <laughs> especially if they end up having it done by the second guy. But uh, it, it is still good to get more than one view on that. You also cover <laughs> medical errors. Um, and I guess if, if you're, uh, 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 Corinne, if you're a, um, a paralegal working in the system, working in a, in a, in a law office, I imagine that a, a lot of what comes across your desk has to do with possibly medical errors. Could you give us an idea of what, what constitutes a medical error and, and some actual examples of what they, what they might be? Sure. A medical error um, happens when something that was planned as part of a, a standard medical care treatment process doesn't work out or when the wrong plan was used in the first place. Um, medical errors can occur anywhere, you know, in the healthcare system from hospitals and clinics to outpatient surgery centers, doctor's offices, nursing homes, pharmacies, and even patients' homes. Um, the errors can involve uh, human error, medication errors, surgical errors, misdiagnosis, equipment failure, um, you know, improper reports, um, everything, you know, from the switching of uh, patients' charts to patients' medications. They can happen even during the most routine tasks, such as administering a medication. And, um, you know, medical errors is just something that um, when, when you really get to the, the base root of it, you can see that it's generally sometimes constituted by poor communication or failure in communication between, you know, the medical staff and sometimes between the medical staff themselves and the patient. So how does the informed layperson who, who may not, you know, be, be afraid to, to try to discuss technical medical issues with the doctor, how do they prevent or mitigate medical errors? Well, sometimes it's, it's basic, very basic things by, by getting involved, by not sitting by and, and taking a, a back seat. You know, if you're open with your doctor, you communicate with your physician, the nurses, the people on your healthcare team, you give them the information that is important for them to treat you best. That's, that's the first step. And sometimes that can accomplish a lot um, by t- telling them exactly all the medications you're taking, um, including herbal supplements and over-the-counter medications, vitamins. When you get a new prescription, make sure you can read the handwriting. If you can't, ask the doctor. Don't leave the office until you understand exactly the name of the medication, the dosage you're taking, the route of administration, why you're taking it. And that will also help prevent an error when you go to the pharmacist. If for some reason the pharmacist has a question with the handwriting, you're already familiar with it. You can help try to interpret it. And right there, that's a communication error that can be prevented. Letting your doctor know if you have any allergies to medications or foods or latex or dyes can prevent a a horrible allergic reaction. Um, You know, if you had prior surgeries, if you had prior treatment, again, this is something that he or she should understand going forward. It may affect the surgical procedure they're going to do to you, and it's something that they really need to know. Um, If you're in a hospital and the nurses come along with a little cup of pills and they're handing you pills, ask what it is. If you're not familiar with why you're taking something, if you've never seen the medication before, if you don't know what it is, ask. Ask to speak to the doctor. Don't take it if you're not comfortable until you get the answers that you feel comfortable with. Um, again, ask all the doctors and nurses and any member of your healthcare team to wash their hands. Um, <laughs> that's one of the biggest problems, passing you know, infections throughout medical facilities. You know, If you see them wash their hands, that's a good feeling. If you're uncomfortable, you're not sure, you haven't seen them before they examine you, there's, you know, a, a nice way to do it so that you don't offend someone. It is your health. It is your life. You have a right to, to ask them to do so. Absolutely. We're going to take another break here, and then when we get back, we will be continuing our conversation about medical tips from the inside with Corinne and Patty uh, right after this break. This is Dr. Mark Vaughn. I want to tell you about my dentist, Rodney Kihara. 
His office is located right in town at High Street and Auburn Folsom Road. His staff is pleasant. They smile when you walk in, and you know who they are because they're there every time. We're talking about Flo, Cheryl, and Judy. Their pleasant faces welcome you into the office and let you know that you're in the right spot, a comfortable place to go to the dentist. Call Dr. Kihara's office at 888-1966. That's 888-1966. Few things in life are harder than thinking about serious illness or the death of someone you love. Research confirms that Americans want the basic services that hospice provides. Care at home or in a home-like setting. Treatment that preserves a sense of dignity and respect. Emotional and spiritual support for patients and for their families. And effective pain management. Hospice helps patients and their families deal with end-of-life challenges in a life-affirming, compassionate way that brings dignity, hope, and love to every day of life. This message of love and caring is the focus of hospice care. This message is brought to you by Sutter Auburn Faith Hospice. We can be reached at 886-6650 or click on the link for Sutter Auburn Faith Hospice on the Medically Speaking Radio website. The doctor would say don't stick anything in your ear. Unless, of course, it's medically speaking. On K-High, the voice of the foothills. Now, back to Medically Speaking with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney. Welcome back. This is Medically Speaking Radio with Dr. Mark Vaughn and Larry Finney on K-High AM 950. And we're having a conversation with the authors of Medical Tips from the Inside, Patricia Rea and Corinne Magenis. Yeah, we left off talking about patients not being afraid to uh, ask questions and to look out for their, their, their own health, uh, even in the medical setting. The uh, one section in the middle of the book had to do with women's health, and I noticed that, that it, was a, uh, it was quite a heavy chapter, going into quite a bit of detail on, on that specific subject. Is there a specific um, case or experience that was behind that chapter? I, I would have to say we both had our, our reasons for wanting to get that information out, but... Uh, I personally have seen way too many misdiagnosis of breast cancer cases, um, ignored breast lumps. Uh, women are told, you know, it's, it's nothing, go on, go through life. And, and it's just a, a, a personal pet peeve of mine. I've, I've seen horrible outcomes. It's a lump is a lump, and it's not supposed to be there. And until you know exactly what it is, it shouldn't be left alone and untreated, and you shouldn't go on your, your normal business until you have a biopsy or you have enough tests to confirm for sure that it is, in fact, a, a cyst or a, you know, a benign tumor. And, you know, until then, you should not be comfortable with that. And I think we felt the same about the, um, the cervical cancer chapter. Uh, we had seen and experienced uh, women who had abnormal pap smears and weren't followed appropriately or weren't told the details of what could really happen as an outcome and unfortunately had a little bit more drastic outcomes than they had hoped for. Um, I, I noticed you're, you're talking about having the, um, the breast lumps evaluated, which they should be. Um, but at the same time, my concern on that is that's an awful lot of false, uh, or not false positive, but uh, biopsies that end up being benign, which we're glad they're benign, but uh, it's a lot of surgical procedures done on people to have um, everything checked. 
do you have concerns for people getting uh, hurt by the, the biopsies and the, the surgeries that are necessary to, to have that degree of assurance? Patty, you want to take that one? Um, I know um, if a, a, a um, needle biopsy is done in, it, it, sometimes it's, it's done in a physician's office, and um, sometimes uh, you have to, it can be done in, in a uh, outpatient uh, ambulatory care center. Um, I think it's it's important to have them. Uh, when you feel a lump, uh, evaluated um, uh, a mammogram. I know that there's uh, controversy over uh, now the recommendations of, you know, not having your first uh, uh, the mammograms until uh, uh, not not annually years. anymore. It's now every two years right. or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I know w- with these new guidelines, um, which was decided by people who are not physicians, so that right right there is a red flag to me. Um, I, you know, I know several people who um, unfortunately had breast cancer, and if they follow these guidelines, they wouldn't be alive today. You know, and the uh, radiologists uh, uh, recommend uh, regular annual screening beginning at the age of 40 for a woman at average risk for breast cancer. And uh, beginning at age 30, um, if you have the uh, uh, the marker, the, uh, the gene mutation, and um, you know it, it's important. Um, I I I think 50 is you know it's so so many lives are going to be lost if if that comes to uh, you know fruition. Yeah, it's it's a it's a point of controversy. We did a show on it several weeks ago, and we did emphasize the fact that. They are merely guidelines. The, 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 the new guidelines are merely guidelines. And that Isn't that what the patients, pirate says? On right, the pirates say that, too. They're merely <laughs> guidelines. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, uh, women as informed patients can make their own choices. And if they want to get them done annually, they, they can jolly well do that. Yeah. With the, the current standing on it, I, I would say if, uh, if any patient had difficulty getting um, a mammogram uh, because they're not 50 years old yet, I would strongly encourage them to uh, to have a conversation with their doctor about that subject, if, if that's the case, uh, because it, it, it was a, a guideline, and it is true that if it is followed, there will be lives that will be lost because it was followed. Uh, it was it was a matter of um, economics, really, that drove that. Exactly, you know, and and looking at the the amount of um, patients that are that have the false positive, well, give me the false positive and give me the, the peace of mind that I'm having it evaluated and, and biopsied and finding out that it's negative versus, I, I you know, you not, not having it done yeah. and, and yeah. having this slump for X amount of years and, and, and finding out that it's positive. And, you know, now my, my five-year life expectancy has, has dropped to, you know, oh, well. Yeah. People do need to be given the option, and, and there needs to be communication. Exactly. Um, and that is exactly what this book gets. It gets people to ask those questions and to uh, open up the dialogue if their doctor is not already opening it up, which we would hope they do. But obviously for this book to exist, it, it, it hasn't always been there. Yeah. I, I, chapter 14 of your book is devoted to medical tourism. And as I, as I read through it, I was kind of uh, 
somewhat bemused by the idea that Colombia is a is a site for <laughs> medical tourism. Now, I, I've never thought of. Well, I mean, I, they're famous for certain pharmaceutical uh, substances, but I, I had never, I had never thought of going to Colombia, say, for cosmetic surgery or something like that. I mean, how how common actually is that? It's becoming more and more common, surprisingly so. Um, we're, we're finding out, we just did a, a research for um, one of our, our TV shows, and we, it was just, there was so much information, we were shocked that there are concierge services, if you will, or travel agents for the medical tourist. Um, you know, come, come see me, tell me what type of plastic surgery you want. I can let you know what country is, you know, uh, booming in it now. I will arrange the trip. I will arrange your surgery, uh, get your airfare, arrange your stay in a, you know, rehabilitation hotel type suite afterwards, get you your flight home, get you a private nurse if you need it. And, you know, you, you stop in what appears to be a, a travel agent and you, you pay one price and they arrange your, uh, you know, your liposuction or your tummy tuck or whatever in the country that seems to be specializing in it at the time. And they arrange the entire thing. And it's, um, it's a, it's a scary thought. And, and it costs less than if you'd had it done in the United States. Right. Surprisingly right. less. Well, what, what type of person is, is, getting, is doing this medical tourism? Because I, I, at first I would think, well, maybe it's the un, uninsured or the underinsured shopping for price shopping. But, you know, it's going to cost some money to do all this traveling. So maybe the, are these people of means that are doing this? I personally have probably run into, I'd say, three individuals who, since the book had come out, had said to me, oh, yes, I, I went to uh, Columbia for uh, breast augmentation um, and a tummy tuck. Um, I have other friends and family members who have gone. It is half the price that it would have been here. Love it, love the outcome, would do it again, recommend it to people all the time, and yeah. um, I, was, I was surprised. It, it is common. I, I have patients who have gone out of the country. Mostly it's dental work, but it's been for medical stuff too, and it's been Central America. On the other hand, um, and I don't know if this really comes out in the book. I don't think it did. I've actually had patients come to me from England and and have care. It was actually a patient who, uh, I'll try to be as generic as I can so I'm not violating uh, personal information, but I actually had a, a patient who had had a stroke in England. The family was not pleased at all with the care that was received there. He came to the United States uh, and through the rehabilitation process, uh, recovered as much as he could, and then moved back to England afterwards. There were a lot of patients that come in from Canada uh, for, for our health um, services over here. Um, because of the uh, restrictions on traveling and, and tighter security, uh, making it more difficult for, for travelers, um, that's caused a bit of a decline for tourism coming to, uh, to uh, medical tourism coming into, into the United States. But, uh, you know, there are, as you had said, you know, people from other countries that, that have come here to get their, their treatment. So it's, it's uh, a global market. Yeah, hearing that people are coming from Canada would seem to be counterintuitive to the argument that their, their health care system is superior to ours. It depends on what end of the spectrum you're on. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know uh, nurses that, that um, Canadian nurses and um, some physicians from Canada, and um, they're here in, in the United States. So, <laughs> Yeah, we, we, we see uh, people come here for um, kind of the extras in health care, yet at the same time, people who aren't able to get basic care will be wanting to move there. Right, um, right. And then uh, 
you had a list of hospitals for specific um, specialties on there. I, I don't know. It, was it just that you guys are on the East Coast or, or that you're, you don't know as much about the hospitals out here? It seemed rather weighted towards the East Coast. Oh, and the Mayo Clinic, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, it was, it was taken from a report from um, U.S. News that had done, had done the report and printed out the... Um, they print out the yearly, you know, uh, reviews of the of the top hospitals. So some of the information was based on on that report, as well as some of the the ratings that we had found on uh, different, you know, yearly yearly reviews that come out. And, and it it was by uh, different uh, specialties, for example, for um, neurology, for cardiac care, for particular cancers. Um, I, I believe MD Anderson was there for for uh, cancer. Right. Uh-huh. Now, how would somebody get a hold of this book? Our, our listeners have heard it. Sounds like something good. Sounds like something in the best interest of patients. How do we get this in their hands? They can uh, go to Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, Barnes & Noble, um, Borders Books, Borders.com, uh, online, uh, and it's uh, by Merit Publishing International. Uh, we also have a, a website, Medical Tips from the Inside, Things You Need to Know, And as always, uh, websites that we mentioned on the show, we do have a link on our notes page at medicallyspeakingradio.com if you forget that, so that you can also uh, learn about the book through that link. And we have, uh, occasionally, we'll have uh, a giveaway on our show. Is it possible that uh, your publisher and you would be sharing a book with us that we could give away to our listeners? We can reach out to the publishing company and see if we could arrange that, sure. (laughs) That'd be great. Are you working on another book? You know, we we had started to to, um, to to contemplate that and discuss it, and and then we kind of got sidetracked because we took on uh, two local cable, cable TV shows that were actually based on the premise of the book, and we discuss now weekly health topics that were both in the book and and are current in the news, and so that's kind of taking our attention right now. But based on all of the rumblings in the healthcare system and what may be coming, we may very well want to cover some of the up and coming information. Uh, Patricia Rea and Corinne Mogenis authors of the book Medical Tips from the Inside. Uh, could you give us your website one more time for our listeners? It's uh, www.medicaltipsfromtheinsidethingsyouneedtoknow.com. Well, that's a mouthful. Medical Tips from the Inside, Things You Need to Know.com. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we thank you both for being with us on our show. We thank you for your book. And uh, my patients... Thank you for the book because it gives them good information that will help protect them in taking care of their health. And we wish you well on your future pursuits. And uh, if something else comes along, let us know so we can have you on the show again. Well, thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. We appreciate it. That's it for this week's show. Until next time, this is Dr. Mark Vaughn, Larry Finney, saying stay in good health.